For our scripture today, we are reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. And I promise you I'm not preaching as well today. Doug will come up and do that. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 9. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had, who had the seven bowls full of the la- seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Good morning. The title for my sermon this morning was Home. And that description that Brent just read with Revelations 21 is that final home. Now, when, when you think of home, going home, coming home, being home. What comes to mind? What, what, what does home entail? What does home contain for you? And I'm, I'm welcoming some, some comments, some statements. What, what is home when you envision home? A faith place? Safe place. Comfort. Relaxation. The big house. Which one? (laughs) Family. Yeah. Those are home. I had to think, when when I was young, and even today, when I'm returning from vacation, or from work, or just a short trip, what was home? Back home in Brutus, as a kid, the very last corner we turned up to see the house and we drove, that's when I felt, okay, I'm home. At the Napanee house, when we were, first had our, our first home, um, corner of uh, Cone Road 50 and 19, there used to be the gas station, now it's the Rise and Roll. When we got past there, that, that was home. I had about a quarter mile yet to go. That was home. And right now, living in Wakarusa, when I turn that last corner onto Sunset Court, that's home. I can see home. But going back a while, in college, 
at Goshen College went on SST to Costa Rica. And coming home after three and a half months, I can still picture and feel in the bus, because we, we, we flew into uh, Florida and we drove whatever hours there was to get back home. When we passed Bethany, we went through the light there at Kircher, and we were driving through the wooded section just south of the college. I started tearing up because that was home. We're back. And when we went and adopted Nick, I came home a week early from Dawn. Dawn and Nick were still over there. And for me, on that trip, O'Hare Airport <laughs> was where I experienced home. Because I landed. And I was met by Jerry, my brother-in-law, and Ryan, who had been back here for three, what, or three weeks. That was home. So I would say home isn't necessarily the building. You guys didn't mention the building. You mentioned the other things. And I would add this as well. Home is where I feel safe, where I feel nurtured, where I feel most comfortable. Things are familiar. I feel supported. I feel embraced. Home is where relationships are strongest. So I want to refer to four homes that I think occurred throughout the Bible. The first one would have been the Garden of Eden. That was home for Adam and Eve. Now, if, if you do a Google search for images for the Garden of Eden, you will see pictures of lush green trees and bushes, flowers, animals intermingling peacefully. Adam and Eve enjoying nature, a river flowing, and we sang about the river of life, maybe a waterfall, that, that appeared on many of the pictures. And then you'll also see the temptation with the apple and the, and the fall. But that was home for Adam and Eve for a short time. Um, Nancy Guthrie, Presbyterian author and Bible teacher, wrote in an article in 2019 that the title of her article was 10 Things You Should Know About the Garden of Eden. And, and the first two things she listed here was that the Eden was good, but it was not fully glorious. Eden was abundant, but not yet expansive. Kind of refers to Eden being kind of a starting point, a very good starting point, but it wasn't complete. Matt Emerson, uh, the dean at Oklahoma Baptist University, identifies four tasks that God gave Adam and Eve while they were in the garden. The first was to be fruitful and multiply, in Genesis 1.28. Then, to subdue and have dominion over the earth, verse 26 and 28. They were to work and keep the garden, chapter 2, verse 15, and they were to obey God's law. 2.16. And so a common element from both Guthrie and Emerson that I see is that there was work to be done in the, in the garden. Work. The garden was to be subdued. Earth was to be taken dominion over. And so, you know, 
one thing that struck me about these pictures of Adam and Eve kind of lolling around in the garden. I don't think they were necessarily doing that. It was relaxed, but they were working the garden. They were called to work the garden, interacting, cultivating what God had given them. The plan was for them to multiply, have children, fill the earth. Manual work. And in, in uh, verse 29 it says, to grow every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Wonderful plants, but it was to be worked. It was to be interacted with. And of those four tasks that Emerson refers to, the last one, obey God's law, was the one that wasn't completed. That was the one resulting in sin. A tarnishing of the relationship between God and man. And sin affects everything. Uh, as we read in Genesis 3, 16 through 19, childbirth will be painful. Work will be challenging and sweaty. Thorns and thistles will now grow, maybe in place of some of the crops or amongst the crops. And then Adam and Eve were banished from that home that they had known. Their relationship with God had, was different. The second home I want to kind of refer to earth following the fall, more of the Old Testament time. So between the fall and when Jesus Christ was born. Adam and Eve had been removed from the garden, so the home was no longer the garden. In Genesis 12, we read of the covenant that God then made with Abraham. Promise of a great nation, promise of many descendants, promise that all peoples of the earth will be blessed through his lineage. And throughout the entire Old Testament, we read the children of Israel being faithful and falling away. Returning, being faithful, falling away. It was a struggle, it was a challenge, back and forth. Time spent in Egypt, in exile. Home being taken away during that time. Then the exodus and the journey to the promised land, the hope of home. But along the way, Israel's disobedience, then their obedience to God's laws, again, varying from generation to generation. But where, where was home? But throughout the Old Testament, there were always hints of what home was to be. Jeremiah 32, verses 37 through 41 that I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well with them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. And what I see in that, not, not necessarily a location, but a gathering back from all the lands. A singleness of heart and action. Never turning away from God. In Hosea 14.1, the command there is return Israel to the Lord your God. 
Lamentations 340 encourages, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. And all of those statements are about community, returning together, fellowship, interacting together, and a relationship with God that is more about who we are with, God, than necessarily where that is located. So in, in all of this, God is wishing for his people to return to him, for him to be the center of thoughts and livelihoods, for him to be the center of what home is. And, and the children of Israel didn't always do that. Ebb and flow. They, they made mistakes. And we do that too. But God had made a covenant with Abraham that was new. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 32 said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. A new covenant, a new relationship, a new way of representing and recognizing home. And that started then with the birth of Christ. So the third home I want to refer to is that first coming of Jesus. So that would be the New Testament through today. So as the Messiah was promised throughout the Old Testament scriptures, what were the children of Israel anticipating? What did they expect? And uh, again, I've, I've referred to the, the chosen. And it's interesting to watch the depiction in the chosen of some of the expectations that the disciples and the followers of Jesus had as he started his ministry. So what, what change in home were they envisioning? A mighty warrior to lead them in battle? Freedom from enemy oppression? A physical kingdom here on earth? A comfortable home for living comfortably and in luxury? I mean, that, that's a bit of what was envisioned. God's going to lead us. God's going to provide the Messiah. And then we will rule. Well, but what did Jesus bring? Jesus' ministry and his teachings there were signs and hints, not of an earthly kingdom, but of a heavenly kingdom. Creation and a restored direct relationship with God. Bodies were healed by miracles. Dead were raised. But the promise of a kingdom not of this world was the main part of what Jesus was promoting and teaching. And nothing along those lines are what the disciples and many of the followers of Jesus Christ were expecting and anticipating. They wanted it here. So some examples uh, can be found in the following scriptures. For, for the heavenly kingdom not being an earthly one, we see John 18.36. This is Jesus answering Pilate where Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to present, prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Very clear. And then Jesus taught, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's not part of winning a war on earth. You don't do that. 
if you're trying to gain territory on earth. Also a direct relationship being restored. John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In the garden, Adam and Eve knew God. I mean, they, they were right there with him. And we have that. Grab your Bible, whether it's your physical Bible or you've got it on your phone. There's the word of God. That's our interaction. That's the holy word of God being able to speak to us and through Jesus Christ and through his words. When Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit descended, that Holy Spirit is there for us right now. The indwelling of the Spirit means that we are the home where God is seeking to live. And so how much closer relationship with the Father than allowing him to indwell in us can you have? He's here. He's available. And this idea of a new heaven and new earth was a bit of what Paul wrote about in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Christ's interaction with us is right now. The old has gone, the new is here. Emmanuel means God with us. And in us is where God wants to have his home. So that's where we're comforted. That's where we're strengthened. That's where we experience our most intimate and meaningful relationship. That's where we're nurtured. That's when we're home, when he is right here with us and we open our hearts completely to him. And so now we come to Revelation 21 and a home that is described there and throughout Revelation. And so one of the questions that I have if the disciples and the children of Israel were anticipating a certain thing as Jesus Christ the Messiah came to this earth and they didn't fully understand and see God's plan, what do we expect? What do we anticipate? How is home going to be? What's home going to feel like as we read it? As Brent read this, What's home going to be like? Now, the, the previous chapters to what Brent read, chapter 19 and 20, if you go back through there, uh, you read about the fall of Babylon, about Jesus with eyes of fire, with a sharp sword striking down the nations. Satan and all his armies being defeated, crushed, and cast into the lake of fire. Judgment day. And then Revelation 20 ends with this statement. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Pretty destructive set of chapters. Scottish theologian James Moffat said this about the beginning of chapter 21. From the smoke and pain and heat 
It is a relief to pass into the clear, clean atmosphere of the eternal morning where the breath of heaven is sweet and the vast city of God sparkles like a diamond in the radiance of his presence. And so this is where John is revealing home, a new heaven, a new earth. And as we read descriptions of what this this is like, not, not just in Revelation, if you go back to John 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus described this to his disciples. He said, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare, uh, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. Earlier, Revelation 7-9, John saw the vision. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, singing, praising God. And then from our reading today, verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things has passed away. And in the next weeks, we're going to read more about the additional things identified in Revelation. Sparkling jewels, pearly gates, streets of gold, the tree of life, the light of God. Beautiful visual images. Now, the one couple things that I think are missing, though, what's heaven going to smell like as well? Not just look. I mean, all of the senses, I think, are going to be there. But with all of these descriptions that we can think of of home, I come back to the very beginning of my sermon, and I'm thinking times when I felt most at home had more to do with relationships than where I actually was. So when we reach heaven as our home, we're going to be in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross to die for me and for you and cover our sins. If I am in the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Almighty, how much do I really care about the other things? How important are they going to be? And I I think they're cool to envision And I think God wants us to experience completely and be immersed in his presence. And all these other things are part of that, but the presence of God. In Revelation 14, 3, John describes some of the sounds and activities. He said, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. There's going to be sound. There's going to be activity. From the Enduring Word website, this comment from uh, David Guzik. The Christian concept of heaven as a city, a community, a place of life, activity, interest, and people 
is very different from the Hindu conception of a blank nirvana. The consummation of the Christian hope, heaven, is supremely social. It is the life in the redeemed community of heaven. We are not going to do heaven alone. One other comment Guzik made is that God's perfect state is not one of innocence. It wasn't Eden. God's perfect state is one of redemption. And that's what we experience when we are getting to heaven. Full redemption. We are imperfect people on this earth. Just like Adam and Eve. They were imperfect. The children of Israel were imperfect. Jesus' disciples were imperfect. The early church was imperfect. But Jesus Christ has redeemed us. And we're called to walk in his way. In community. Not by ourselves. But in community. So the the phrase heaven on earth. What does heaven on earth refer to? And and I did some quick searching online. and, And I was open to both secular thoughts and religious comments about what heaven on earth meant. And, and I will say this, there's a common part of this. Um, vacation spots, vacation sites are one of the most common things. Here's heaven on earth. But here, here's a common thing about heaven on earth. You're probably not doing it alone. You're experiencing experiencing it with somebody else. Um, Even the secular scenarios in the comments, there's somebody else with you in that experience. It's a community. It's a relationship. And so heaven is about relationships. God made us for relationships. If you go back to Genesis, God made Adam. And he said, yeah, okay, this is good. But then he said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. We're made for relationships. Uh, Stars Grow Dim is a Christian music group. They have a song titled Heaven on Earth. And there's, there's a part of their song that they, they say this. Help me move when I should move. Help me rest when I should rest. Help me give when I should give. All of me, nothing less. Help me speak with grace and truth. Help me fight for those who can't. Help me love the way you love, never holding anything back. And and if you allow me to summarize a bit of that, that, basically all those statements of help was help me interact, support, challenge, and love within a community. All of those comments were about not just help me Stay inside myself and improve. Help me reach out. Help me interact. Walking in faith with Jesus Christ was never meant to be done alone. So preparing ourselves for heaven, I believe, is preparing ourselves to be part of a community of believers forever. That's where we're going to be for eternity. So having a relationship with Jesus involves being imperfect within a community that we're willing to engage with. And we practice that now. 
So am I engaged at church with my Sunday school class, with my youth group, with my small group, study group, Wednesday night classes, opportunities to volunteer and for God to use my skills, my talents. And I would even say if I have part of a talent, part of a skill, God's going to supply the rest. Am I willing to interact, engage, be active, and not just occasionally, but commit to the community of believers? And that goes beyond our church. That goes beyond Yellow Creek. Am I willing to commit to that? You know, in heaven, we will engage perfectly. Now, yeah, we, we stumble, we fall. But we're still called to be active and present in that community. And I, I thought of this as I prepared today. You know, if you ask anybody on the street, do you want to go to heaven... What does everybody say? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. But what about those who are not really interested in dwelling with God on earth? You know, verse 8, Brent read through the, you know, the cowardly, the vile, the idolaters, liars. And, you know, I, I, hopefully we're not in there. Now, there, there's some things that, that we, you know, we have our sins, we have our faults. But if we are not willing to be familiar or comfortable in following God's laws and commands and walking with each other here, why in the world do we think we will be comfortable up in heaven? For anyone who completely denies the existence of Jesus Christ, why do you want to go to heaven? And so the question I have are we making home to be a heavenly home here on earth? Are we living in a way where we are preparing ourselves to sing, to glorify God in whatever those activities may be? And, and, and that's a challenge for all of us. Am I living out my faith where I am dwelling with God each day? Am I seeking that in scripture, in prayer, in times of communion and communication with my Lord and Savior? Am I devoting my life to Jesus Christ? Am I interacting with those around me who maybe at this point in time they don't know or they are denying? I mean, we're told what the result is of that direction. God doesn't want that for anybody. So am I interacting within this community of faith? Am I interacting outside of this community of faith to share what heaven may be like? Am I loving? John Eliot was a Puritan missionary back in the 1600s. And he, he had some comments on the Puritans' neighborhood prayer meetings that included singing, prayer, discussion, and fellowship. And here's what he said about their meetings. He said, when thou comest to die, heaven will be no strange place to thee. No, 
because thou hast been there a thousand times before. We come to worship. We come to praise his name because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. And so we don't want it to be uncomfortable. We don't want it to be unfamiliar. Make it familiar. Heaven occurs here. God wants to live within our hearts right now. Heaven on earth occurs when we fellowship together with Christ as our center. Revelation 21, 6 through 7, blesses us with this promise. He said to me, and Brent read this, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The same promise that God was giving the children of Israel is the promise that we have. The river of life is available. Drink of it. Live in it. They will be my children is the promise. A family, a home of believers. So let us commit ourselves to God, to his family, and make this community home. Now, I want to close by sharing just two additional times <laughs> that I felt at home. In 96, mom, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and passed away in 97. And, and I, I don't remember if this was before mom passed away or not, but we were on retreat up at Amigo Center with our Sunday school class. And it was a tough time. <laughs> and our class invited me to, and I, I think Dawn as well, we, we, I remember we sat in a chair, kneeled in the middle of the floor. And our class rounded us and prayed. That was home. Not because of being at Amigo Center. But that was home. That was relationships being strengthened. A bond with Christ as a center. And recently, the, the morning of my ordination service, this would have been May, end of May. My sister walked up the steps. I did not anticipate she was going to make it down from northern Michigan. But she did. And as we embraced, it was home. And part of that was because of the history and the support that had been built for many years of family. That was home. And it made me think 
as we envision what heaven is going to be like, and we, we frequently talk about greeting loved ones in heaven. If Jesus Christ is there, and we get to greet him, the hug that I shared with my sister is so small compared to the hug that we get to experience when we hug Jesus Christ. It's about relationships. Home is living with Christ, filling us with his living spirit, with his water, embracing him now so that we know how to embrace him later.